content warning, I just want to give everybody a heads up that this episode is going to have mentions of homophobia, sexual abuse, and suicide. Welcome everybody to the second episode of the Unqualified Wisdoms Podcast, where I, your completely unqualified host, talk to you about cultural and social issues. Now folks, I want you to grab a beverage, get yourself a snack, and strap on in, because this, this is going to be a long one. Now before we jump into today's episode, I just want to ask you one question. What is a man? Now you're probably just staring at your screen like, get what? What's this guy on about? And I'm not trying to be philosophical with you right now. It's, it's, it's just a genuine question that I've been, you know, asking myself quite a lot recently. Is a man simply the opposite of a woman? Is a man simply a person that has testosterone? Are men simply people with primary and secondary male sex characteristics? You know, like XY chromosomes, male genitalia, the ability to grow a beard, you know, deep voice, those kinds of things. But not all men have those characteristics. You know, um, especially if you think about trans and intersex men, they might not have those characteristics you might associate with the traditional definition of a man. And those secondary sex characteristics, like a beard, like a deep voice, I feel like that's just a worse anchor point you can even delve into, because I bet you can at least name one person in your close friend circle that doesn't have the ability to grow a beard or have a deep voice. I know you know a guy. I just feel like all those definitions are just lacking some sense of nuance. And there, look at me just being philosophical again, even though I said I didn't want to be. No, but... So, how do we really define a man? What does it mean to be a man? Manhood is hard to define. It's a nuanced concept that has a lot to do with how society itself views men. Different cultures have different views on what it means to be a man. And oftentimes, there are different expectations of What's a man supposed to do when a man's supposed to be? My definition of manhood can be completely different from your definition of manhood. But when it comes to the discussion of what it means to be a man, we, we stumble upon a fascinating topic, and that's masculinity. With masculinity being the characteristics and qualities we fundamentally attribute to being a man. And what's truly fascinating about masculinity is that it has become politicized. People have made the conversation around masculinity political nowadays. All sides of the political spectrum have to vary in extents politicize what it means to be a man. But don't get me wrong, that doesn't mean that one side hasn't done significantly more harm in the process. Which leads me to introduce the focus of today's episode, which is toxic masculinity. And before I jump into discussing the topic itself, I'd like to make a few things clear. Masculinity isn't inherently bad. Even though some people might tell you that women and feminists are the enemy in this discussion, they are not. Feminism does not want to destroy masculinity. And women are an important factor in this discussion. 
people are not out to get you. If you enjoy sports and shooting the shit with your buddies. The real issue that people want to fix is the aspects of masculinity that are damaging to both men and women and everybody in between. These negative aspects of masculinity are what we call toxic masculinity. Now you might think there is nothing wrong with masculinity, but let me give you a, a simple definition of toxic masculinity that you at least might be aware of what people may be referring to when they talk about the subject. Toxic masculinity is men having to suppress their emotions and keeping up a facade of toughness and bravery. It's measuring your value as a man simply by how many women you sleep with. It's using your anger and your violence to gain power and a position and status. But that's not the full extent of toxic masculinity. There is so much more. And that's why it's important for us to talk about it. Deconstructing toxic masculinity isn't about making men more feminine. It's about realizing the damaging effects traditional gender roles have on men. Such as the notion that real men don't cry. Now, what possible reason could have prompted me to want to talk about toxic masculinity? It's a topic I've touched on with friends of mine in conversation, but it was never something I really researched or looked into. I'd always been aware of the fact that certain facets of masculinity rubbed me the wrong way, but I'd never thought about it at depth. But then the December 2020 issue of Vogue magazine hit the internet, and then a shitstorm ensued. And if you're not aware of why I say a shitstorm ensued, you most likely don't follow internet culture and celebrity gossip religiously like I do. But I digress. So, the cover of the 2020 issue of Vogue had a picture of Harry Styles, you know the former member of One Direction, now very famous solo artist. He was wearing a dress. And when I first saw the image, I, I was actually quite happy that we were finally going to be able to see such a big name person represent gender-bending style. And I feel like within my circle of friendship, we had quite the similar reaction, you know, just happy that there are more representation for people that don't follow those traditional gender norms or the, the notion of traditional masculinity. But, and there's always a but, then came reactionaries. Especially one person, that was Candace Owens. Candace Owens made a viral video saying that men cannot wear dresses. The image seemed to really ruffle her feathers, calling an attack on the Western world and men at large. And if you're not aware who Candace Owens is, she's a right-wing American political commentator that works for an organization called PragerU. Now, PragerU, as you might be able to imagine, is a right-wing online media group that uses the term university in their name to somehow try to imply some form of credibility. It was an organization that was funded by two fracking billionaires, Dan and Ferris Wilkes. And PragerU was well known for creating videos with unsubstantiated and misconstrued information, which is often represented in unlabeled graphs and charts. And that's just a little teaser for you to know who we're dealing with. Now I say all of this because PragerU seems to be at the forefront of outrage surrounding what they call the war on manly men. But they're not the only ones in this battle. Joe Rogan, the quite famous podcaster, also seems to be quite outraged at you know, the battle against masculinity. On one of his podcasts, he said that he believes that toxic masculinity is a dumb phrase and that we should be thankful for masculinity because that's the reason you don't speak German in the US. 
Now, I feel to a certain extent that is significantly understating the work of the Allied nations during the time of war, and I also don't really see how mandatory conscription has anything to do with being masculine, and it's just diminishing the death of millions in a sense. But this ain't a World War II podcast, so I'll leave it at that. Rogan also perpetuates the notion that you need to have manly men in your country because other countries have manly men who are going to come into your country to kill, steal, and rape. Which I find to be quite a reductive mindset. That just hinges on somebody having something, so you also have to have the same thing. Much like the old saying, if your friend jumped off a bridge, would you do it? Just because somewhere else in the world, there are men who commit atrocities like murder and rape, we also need men that murder and rape, and we encourage that behavior, so that when their murdery rapey men come to our country, our murdery rapey men can protect us from them. How is that a logical conclusion? It just also perpetuates the notion that women can't protect themselves. And I believe that we're not in the 1950s anymore. Women are perfectly capable of protecting themselves. They don't need the existence of some man protecting them at all times. And if we address those misogynistic attributes of masculinity, there are going to be a lot less problems women have to deal with. But let's return to PragerU and their video on the so-called attack on masculinity. Now, I opened a Cognito tab on my browser and I pulled up YouTube. And I typed in toxic masculinity and had a look at what popped up. And then within the first page of results, I see about 10 PragerU videos on the topic. Not directly toxic masculinity, but much more on what they call the war on masculinity. And I opened the first one I came across and I had a little watch. It was a video titled Make Men Masculine Again. Somewhat reminiscent of Trump's Make America Great Again. But that just might be a coincidence. You never know, political slogans tend to have some form of power. Now this video is presented by a woman, which I found to be quite curious. And you might be asking yourself, why would that be a curious fact? Well, when I was looking throughout other resources and media, and I found videos that had women presenting the topic of toxic masculinity, by um, more mainstream media companies. Even if the women were experts in the areas of behavioral psychology, people that research this type of stuff, the comments would always be flooded. And I mean hundreds of comments. Talking about stuff like, women shouldn't tell men how to act, women can't understand men, they were just all about notions of toxic femininity, bad parenting, single mothers, pushing a gender-neutral agenda, and all forms of defensive statements. The commentators never seemed to analyze what was being said to them, what was being told to them in the video, but they would instantly jump into being defensive and not critically, critically analyze anything being said. But there was no critique or comments regarding the gender of the host on the PragerU video. Now, one could infer that since this is a woman presenting something that is positively shining on the concept of masculinity, 
that they would have no issue with what's being said. If the presenter is presenting something that's positive to you as a viewer, you're less likely to want to badmouth what's being told to you. But the moment the topic at hand being presented to them was of a different opinion than the viewer had, they become hostile and they say that the woman shouldn't interfere in a man's business. And I feel like that's what was intentionally done. As to create this image, since a woman is telling us that toxic masculinity isn't bad, well, it can't be really bad, can it? Since women are the people that are usually impacted by toxic masculinity. Now, I feel like these comments reflect an inherent sexism within toxic masculinity quite well. And I'll break down why I say toxic masculinity is inherently sexist. Now, throughout the Make Men Masculine Again video, there are multiple sexist tropes and statements made. Such as the characterization that men should be soldiers protecting their country, and that men should work long hours to provide for their families, perpetuating these stereotypes that only men can be true providers for families, and that only men should be allowed to be soldiers, because they can, in a sense, harness their aggressiveness, as they say, and they have a tendency for violence and war. Saying that the aggressiveness of men is natural, and since it's natural, it has to be good. And I can't understand that. I cannot, honestly. Since when has it become a fact that since something is natural, it has to be inherently good? Just because you brandish a part of your character, natural, does not make it good. It also stipulates that men are not embracing their masculinity, and that's leading to destruction and despair, somehow correlating this to a quarter of fathers not being part of their families. I'm not going to comment on the validity of the source of the statement that a quarter of fathers are outside their family picture, because it's hard to quantify real numbers in this field. But I can tell you for sure that it's a way for conservatives to attack single mothers. There's a demonization of single mothers all throughout right-wing media, and fathers are nearly never held accountable or blamed. Only mothers are usually to blame. They push the idea that families and communities can only function under strong male leadership, or they somehow become useless. Fatherhood is deeply linked to masculinity in their rhetoric, especially used by PragerU, ascertaining that only real masculine men can be good fathers. And that's categorically just not true. It would mean that any child of a single mother, a lesbian household, or a matriarchal family would have some form of issue. And come on, you can't be serious. Masculinity does not a father make. A father needs to be there for their children emotionally. They need to be accessible for their kids, providing the needed guidance and support that a child requires. A common strawman argument made by the right is reiterated in the video, which is that young boys are being demonized and disproportionately punished for their actions. Now, I'm from Gen Z, which means that I can at least attest to some level how young boys are being disciplined. As I was a young boy not too long ago. Boys aren't systematically being attacked for being boys. They're being disciplined for fighting, bullying, and insulting other students, which are all perfectly good reasons to discipline a child. And I saw my fair share of girls being disciplined for the exact same reasons. 
and this is a phenomenon seen all around the world. Negative actions are being met with discipline. Children are being taught that problems should be solved with words, not your fists, and that bullying is wrong. It all boils back down to the age-old argument that boys will be boys. Which is code for I don't want to parent my son because it's too much work. And well, my parents didn't discipline me and I turned out fine. No, Chad, you didn't turn out fine. You need therapy for your anger issues. We should not be glorifying violence between children. Or leaving bad behavior untreated. These things don't magically fix themselves. And it causes lasting damage. Now, talking about boys will be boys reminds me of the controversy around the now infamous Gillette commercial that came out in 2019 about achieving the best a man can be. I believe that's what their slogan was at the time. Now, if you've never seen the commercial, I recommend you watch it to fully understand the context behind what I'm about to say. But it boils down to that it was a commercial that talked about men holding other men accountable and combating some of those toxic traits of masculinity. Now, was the commercial a giant PR stunt to gain woke points? Well, that's pretty obvious, but it sparked quite the interesting conversation surrounding the topic of toxic masculinity at the time. The commercial showed a lot of those toxic sides of masculinity the bullying, the repression of emotions, the objectification of women, the fear of being vulnerable. All of those things are shown are real issues. The video reminded me of two analogies I heard during my school days, the lock and key analogy and the shoe analogy. And most likely some of you have heard of these or similar analogies about men and women's sexual activity, where it touches on how we socially regard men who have a lot of sex with different women as studs, and he's the guy, he's the man. But when it comes to women having multiple partners, they're viewed as less than. And then some giga-brain dude bro will say that, will say something around the lines of, well, if a key opens a lot of doors, it's considered a master key. But if a lock is opened by many keys, it's considered defective. Or something around the lines of, well, would you want a shoe that a bunch of guys wore before you? Now, not only are those remarks deeply sexist, but they're just idiotic? I don't know about y'all, but I don't think about women as locks or shoes. You know, like, women are sentient beings with autonomy. They have emotions, they have feelings, they exist, your mother's one of them. Like, honest to God, it's one of the shittiest things I have ever heard. Why are you comparing women to household objects? You could turn that shitty analogy around and just say that men are pencils and women are pencil sharpeners. A pencil can be sharpened in a bunch of sharpeners, but every time they do it, they start getting smaller and smaller until nothing's left. But a pencil sharpener can sharpen thousands of pencils and not break. You see how stupid that sounds? That's exactly what those analogies are. Idiotic little idioms that some dude bro named Chad probably came up with and said, hmm, how do I objectify women even more? It's this kind of crap that we shouldn't be basing our value around. It's just so stupid. But back to our analysis of the alleged attack on masculinity.
perpetuated by PragerU. I want to talk about another one of their videos titled The Borderline Bar and Grill, A Tale of Men and Masculinity. Again, this video was presented by a woman, and once again there were no comments about how women should have no say in men's business. Curious, much like in the last video. Now this video relates to a shooting that occurred on the 7th of November of 2018 in Thousand Oaks in California in the US at the Borderline Bar and Grill. During this tragic event, a young man named Matt Vernestrom risked his life to protect and evacuate a group of people. PragerU uses this heroic display as a straw man argument, arguing that this heroic act defines masculinity and that by criticizing masculinity as a whole, you're criticizing this heroic act. And at no point did Matt ever state that, oh, I did this because I'm a man. No, he simply said it's something that I felt like was the right thing for me to do. There was no intention to make this about his sex. And for some reason, these reactionaries love to take that story and make it a strawman argument for them to perpetuate the notion of masculinity is important and manly men have to exist. It plays into the idealization of masculinity as heroic and brave right after tragic events. This was also seen after the attacks on the Twin Towers, where often headlines and reports would simply thank firemen and and policemen, completely disregarding female first responders that were at the scene trying to rescue people. And by simply changing that statement to firefighters and police officers, it doesn't change the fact that there is an idealization of masculinity still embedded in our speech. Don't tell me you've never heard somebody say, don't be a pussy, or man up, or don't be a bitch. Linguistically, there's still an association of masculinity with bravery and toughness. Women are also incredibly brave. You hear plenty of stories of mothers running into burning homes to save their children, or putting themselves in harm's way to protect their family. You also have plenty of women that save lives during tragic events. Bravery and sacrifice should never be intrinsically linked with your sex. It's an individual trait that can manifest in anybody. These rigid gender norms also feel like a rehash of fascist ideas, where men are seen as disposable assets that act as soldiers who go to war and fight and die, and women are precious items that need to be protected while staying at home and building a family. Now, the focus of the conversation up to this point has been very much on the damage toxic masculinity has on others, especially women. But why don't we shift that focus on why toxic masculinity hurts men? Why don't we start off with something that can at least be tinged a, with a little bit of humor? Have any of you come across the Twitter threads of men outing themselves for not wiping their own asses? There was a hashtag about dudes not wiping their butts because they thought it was gay. This shit was trending. Literally. Let me break this down for you. A lot of men were posting on Twitter, proudly I say at that, about the fact that they didn't clean their asses. Because touching your own asshole is apparently gay. Some dudes even said that their parents were telling them not to clean their asses when they were kids. Fellas, is basic hygiene gay? 
or you're walking around with skid marks and dingleberries to own the libs? Is smelling like literal feces attracted to you now? On God, what is wrong with men? And because we live in a capitalist hellscape that is the modern world, there are even butt cleaning products now directed at men such as dude wipes. I even saw an image of a set of men's bathroom essentials, which included soap on a rope. Because, you know, you don't want to drop your soap in your shower in your own house because what? You'd think some dude's gonna magically appear and try to sexually abuse you? It even included a moisturizer called Man Tough. Real caveman-like. You know, real grunty like Man Tough. Even when you're taking care of yourself, trying to make your skin smooth, you for some reason need to be that tough guy. Please, in the name of any deity you pray to, men clean your asses. You stink. Oh, and since we're talking about the fragility of men's ego, we have to talk about no homo. I bet you heard some dude bro say no homo recently. Hell, even I've used it in more of an ironic sense. But the thought that some real people out there are genuinely using no homo in their day-to-day -day life haunts me on a daily basis. As a linguistic scholar Deborah Kamen put it regarding the use of no homo, Gender has to be constantly reaffirmed and publicly displayed by repeatedly performing particular acts in accordance to cultural norms. I've included a link to a chapter of her book in the description, which is particularly interesting, with a focus on male speech and just how men interact with one another linguistically. I recommend anybody interested in that, give it a read. It's genuinely very insightful. I also feel like the phrase in general perpetuates this notion of gay people are less than because we have to constantly remind ourselves that by no means are these acts that can be interpreted as a double entendre meant to be actually gay because I'm not gay. I'm a normal guy. I'm straight. I love women because those gay people, they're the weirdos. I'm the normal one here. That's just what's being perpetuated by this f f obsession with saying things like, no homo. But let's shift back into something a little more important. Why don't we talk about how young children are pushed into this toxic behavior by their own peers? I believe it's quite common for children to want to fit in when they're young, right? Conformity facilitates building friendships, and you avoid being socially ostracized. Kids usually don't want to be seen as the weird one that just doesn't fit in. Why don't I give you a, an example from my personal life? I feel like I've always been very connected with my feminine side. I remember there used to be a word commonly associated with caring about yourself a couple years back, and that would be men were called metrosexual. I feel like that word has somewhat fallen into disuse, but at the time, I just felt like it really incorporated how I felt about my own self-image. But the word wasn't always used in a flattering sense, or an objective sense. It was much more commonly utilized as an insult. I would already been bullied most of my time at school due to the fact that I was overweight, so creating another target 
for people to bully me just didn't seem like something that I wanted to do. So instead of, you know, embracing myself and trying to be the most genuine version of myself, I started playing a character. I started code switching depending on who I was talking to. And if you're not familiar with the concept of code switching, it's an act of changing between language varieties and dialects depending on the person one's speaking to. This is normally a protective mechanism used to either fit into the desired group or not to be seen as other. It's quite commonly used by LGBTQ plus people and people of color to conform to social norms of speech if they're speaking to somebody outside their community. I started using language and terms associated with traditional straight masculine teen boys, calling everybody bro, um, you know, the whole nine yards. I was playing the character, and it was a way for me not to be called gay. I didn't want to be seen as different. It started affecting me in many other ways as well. By trying to play this character, I was starting to become this character. I was bottling up my emotions. I wanted to be seen as a real man. So I worked out. I drank beer, which I don't even really like, but seemed like the, the straight male thing to do. And I acted like what society told me a real man was, and a real man had to act that way. I acted like what society told me a real man was. This act continued for about three years, but the facade started crumbling near the end of my high school time. Acting out this character was doing tremendous amount of emotional damage on me. I'd become quite stoic, rarely showing genuine emotions. And I just reserved my real feelings for myself alone. I suffered by myself. I had plenty of friends, but I was just afraid that they would leave me if I showed my emotional side. And it just kept chipping away at me, bit by bit by bit. And I'll never forget the one day where it all came tumbling down. It was the day I was going to do a presentation that would have contributed a major part to one of my final grades in high school. I thoroughly researched my topic. I knew all my slides by heart. I came prepared. I was excited but nervous. But I was 100% sure I was going to do well. I'd always been a good student, especially in the subject at hand. And I did my presentation. I answered all the questions. I was happy. But then, the teacher's marking the presentation turned to me and said that some subject-specific terminology I used wasn't quite right. And that the topic I had chosen was somewhat vague and didn't meet the exact requirements for this project. My heart sank. I was frozen. This had never happened before. I was told the project area I had chosen wasn't what they wanted. I felt betrayed. I was standing in front of my class and I was humiliated. I clammed up, I turned off, removed myself from that reality. I just wanted to get away. I, but, I, but I didn't want to show emotions. I couldn't. I wasn't allowed to. And then just a couple of hours later during my lunch break that day, I was sitting with a group of my friends. The ever-stoic me just broke down. I cried. I'd even go as far as to say that I wept. I was in public and I broke down. All of my repressed emotions came flooding out. In that moment, I was 
genuinely vulnerable. One of the things I was most scared of at the time. But my best friends didn't laugh at me like I thought they would. These men helped me. Consoled me. They made me whole again. They allowed me to be me again. They showed me that I didn't need to be scared of being my true self around them. That moment of vulnerability, sharing my shame, was healing for me. Allowing myself to seek the help I needed. Not suffering alone. Not trying to do everything by myself. That moment was an enormous relief. I realized how damaging my attempt at being the stereotypical real man was. And this wasn't by far the only time I had to, you know, stare in the ugly face of toxic masculinity. After I had left high school and moved to a different country for university, I decided I wanted to reinvent myself. I wanted to allow myself to be the most authentic and genuine version of myself. To get an opportunity to discover more about myself. Nobody knew me at this university, so I could become the person that I truly wanted to be. And that involved a lot of introspection, and just being honest with myself, something I hadn't done in a number of years. The first thing I decided to do was, I was going to stop playing that character. I did not care what people thought of me. I wanted to be me. I didn't want to be somebody else. And you know, throughout that process, that long introspection, that looking within yourself, I found something I had been repressing for the past four years. Something I had known since I was in my late teens. I was probably already certain by 16. I was far too scared to explore. And that was the fact that I was questioning my own sexuality. I always knew I loved women. I was sure of that fact. But I also started to feel like I could love a man. And I told the people I knew at university by that point. And you know, they were all amazingly supportive. They helped me come to terms with my own bisexuality. But I was scared. I was scared to tell the people I knew back home. They still knew me. They still knew me as that character. I might have opened up some more. I maintained a lot of characteristics of the role I had played. And then I decided to myself I was going to come out as bi to them. And that's how it happened. The memory is seared into my mind. I am sitting in the passenger seat of my friend's car. The person I had considered one of my closest friends up until that point. We're driving along the street with a group of acquaintances in the back seat. I felt like that was the right moment. The guys in the back were chatting away with each other. And I was having a conversation with my friend as he drove. And I simply brought up the fact that I had started questioning if I was bi since I started university. And then it happened. A sentence I will never forget. It haunts me to this day. My friend turns down the radio, turns to me, and asks, So what, are you a faggot or something? I was prepared for a lot of reactions. But that wasn't one of them. I froze. I began saying I was only kidding. You know, it was all a joke. Ha ha. You know, it's all funny. At that moment, I felt like I was punched in the gut. It's a trauma I will never forget. And I'm so thankful till this day 
that I had a support network, that I had people that loved me, that cared for me, that were around me, that consoled me after that moment, that were there for me when that happened. Because if I did not have that network, if I had been just a little emotionally weaker at the time, I don't want to imagine what could have happened to me. These traumas served as lessons for me. I've been able to gain something positive from them. But it wouldn't have been possible without the emotional support I had. It would never have been possible alone. But that's enough crying about me. Let's get back to the actual topic at hand. Oftentimes it's possible to reform toxic men in a sense. It's usually done by other men holding them accountable. I recently came across a TED talk hosted by an actor named Justin Baldoni. And he talked about how he was tired of trying to be man enough, as he put it. And he tells the story about how he posts a lot of images on his Instagram of him and his wife. And most of the engagement he receives are from women. But one day he went looking through the comments of an image he posted of him and his wife kissing. And saw a comment of a guy telling his girlfriend, who had tagged him, to stop tagging him in gay shit, as he put it. I don't know about you. But I feel like husband and wife kissing seems pretty heterosexual to me. But instead of being perplexed and angry at it, Justin decided he would message this person in the nicest and most calm way possible and asked him why he would say something like that. A man trying to hold another man accountable. And the guy ended up having a conversation with Justin about the topic and ended up apologizing and admitting that due to his upbringing, the way he was raised, he believed that his actions were justified. Through being held accountable, this man, who commented something hateful, had been able to grow. There was no intention to shame him, as shaming never truly brings a real positive change. But through engagement and education, Changes can be made. Ayo, future Luca trying to interrupt past Luca. How you doing? While I was wrapping up this podcast, I was looking through a couple more resources and internet articles, and I came across a fascinating piece by the BBC they published last month about how the Chinese government is trying to stop the feminization of young adolescent boys. Now, I don't know about you, but that just sounds like a plan that's meant to fail. Now, the Ministry of Education has a new proposal that they've titled The Proposal to Prevent the Feminization of Male Adolescents, where they're trying to fully reform their offering of physical education at schools and trying to strengthen the recruitment of teachers. But more specifically, they're trying to recruit and hire more ex-athletes and retired people from a sporting background to, as they put it, vigorously develop sports to cultivate students' masculinity. So far, that a top delegate for the advisory board claimed that there is a trend for young men, specifically young Chinese men, towards their feminization because of leading male celebrities in China. This delegate went as 
this delegate went so far as to say that this feminization will inevitably lead to the endangerment of the survival and development of the Chinese nation. Now that sounds like there are a lot of sexist undertones in that statement. Because you're pretty much just saying that without masculine men, you can't have a surviving nation. You cannot have development. And you're going to have destruction. For some reason, the implication that feminine men somehow lead to a decline in development and survivability of a nation seems kind of idiotic to me. Because it pretty much just assumes that, okay, we're looking at the survival of the nation, that can be economical, that can be population-wise. If we just look at it from a population-wise perspective, you're pretty much just saying that women don't want to have feminine men. Now, you might hold that opinion. I just think it's a stupid opinion. Because we see plenty of women nowadays not being too bothered about how masculine their men are. Come on, I bet you've seen how many women thirst over K-pop stars. Those guys aren't by any means traditionally masculine. And from an economical standpoint, you're also saying that for some reason feminine men cannot become part of the workforce? Or they're unable to lead to development? Why is that? Why are you saying that? It also implies that women are unable to lead to development. They're unable to ensure their survival of a country. Now, I don't know about you, but as I've previously mentioned, I don't think we're in the 1950s anymore. It's the 21st century. Women can have jobs. Women can lead to development. Women are perfectly able to do anything a man can. And going back to our, our friend, the advisor, he also believes that the appeal of male celebrities is leading boys to not want to become what he calls army heroes. Now, most likely what he's trying to say by that is that when he talks about army heroes, he's most likely imagining people we write in history books and talk about how they were like, great, they saved their country, they served their country. They participated in a war. But every single time I look at the word army hero, I just feel a little bit of disgust. I don't know about you, but for some reason, the idea that we're trying to indoctrinate kids into serving in the army just rubs me the wrong way. The institution of the army nowadays feels very much just like an oppressive force on your own country and other countries. I don't know about you, but the sheer amount of people I see coming out and telling horror stories of the time they served in the U.S. military, in the British Army, in all different types of national guards, national armies, national navies, marines, etc. The sheer amount of stories you hear from these guys and gals is disgusting. And I don't think it's any different in China. I don't think the army's as great as they like to think. And also by saying that kids don't want to be army heroes, you're pretty much saying that you would like to encourage kids to be indoctrinated in a form of unquestioning belief into your country's army. You're saying that they should not question the authority of the army. You're pretty much just saying that you want obedient young boys that are going to join the army, 
and going to become patriots. It just sounds like brainwashing. And they did try to sell it as balanced education. That's what they're saying. They want to balance the education. Now, I don't know about you. But I feel like by saying that you're trying to push more physical activities, more physical education onto boys to improve their masculinity, you're not balancing education. You're prioritizing men. You're prioritizing the indoctrination of men into traditional gender norms. And you're ignoring women. Because yes, you might be increasing the amount of physical education they have at school, but you're disregarding women in that equation. Are women going to be allowed to participate in that? Where's the time going to appear from? Are they going to be separating boys and girls into different, you know, PE classes? That doesn't sound like balanced education. You're pretty much just creating an exclusionary policy that's specifically targeting boys by excluding girls. And when you look at that thought process, you see that it's very indicative of the leadership of the Communist Party in China. Most of that party is pretty much male-dominated. Less than 25% of delegates in the party are female. Which means that most likely, this proposal had little to no female involvement. Which... I find to be extremely apparent because it's just trying to push a narrative about boys becoming girls, apparently. You're pretty much just saying that boys should not become more feminine because that's a bad thing because they won't apparently serve in our army and they're trying to be, you know, celebrities. My guy, how is that a logical conclusion you gather. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, encouraging more sports at school is a bad thing. Look, I've always enjoyed PE classes, even though I'm a big guy, but it's always been fun. But you're pretty much just saying that you're going to take out, you're either going to extend school days, which are already extremely long, or you're reducing the amount of teaching hours so you can enforce more physical education and indoctrination. Make it make sense. But that's enough of me interrupting my past self. I'm going to hand you back over to past Luca. I hope he's telling you something interesting. The issue surrounding the upbringing of young boys and men is discussed by Ben Hurst, an educator and member of the Good Lad Initiative, in his TED Talk, Boys Won't Be Boys. Boys Will Be What We Teach Them To Be, which is also linked in the description. Ben talks about workshops he leads through the Good Lad Initiative with young boys and teens at school. He mentions how young boys feel pressured most time by society as if they were stuck, unable to reach out to people around them to seek help, leading them to become socially isolated. Many say that they feel as if they're having to conform to what society, or more importantly, their parents, Tell them a real man is. What's incredibly interesting in this is the role the media plays in establishing this mold that boys should fit into. Ben brings up the type of media personalities that boys idolize, such as James Bond, who's a man that never says no to sex. And that for many young boys, seeing such people never saying no to sex, and this idea that girls 
are the gatekeepers to sex. Makes them feel like they lose the agency to give consent in sexual situations. And a way to combat these feelings is by creating safe, judgment-free spaces where boys can have the opportunity to have conversations and express how they really feel. As Ben-Hur so eloquently puts it, the patriarchy is shit for everybody, and we need to work on dismantling it. By not addressing the issues surrounding toxic masculinity, we're putting life at risk. Men are still around four times as likely to commit suicide than women are, and many of these suicides are caused by emotional and social isolation many men undergo because they do not seek help, and they're told to suffer through these things alone. By addressing these issues, we can also reduce the amount of domestic violence, feminicide, and hate crimes that are committed. So men, what are you going to do? And with this, we've concluded this episode of the podcast. I have a list of resources and sources I've used in writing this video linked down in the description. I highly recommend you give them a look and check them out. Oh, and lastly, if you don't think I'm a soy boy, cuck, simp, virgin, I would love it if you would tune in next time for another episode. Peace out.